Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. It's the whole the whole gang. We've got the whole gang here. Back. I don't know, because we, it's like, been like three in a row where it was just two of us. Uh, so, you know, folks can expect a really, really zippy, impressive podcast today, I think. Uh, now that we're all here to share our many thoughts. Uh, so... Coming off a weekend in St. Louis where the Cubs took two of three from the Cardinals, I believe I saw, and this this felt right, that the even even as the Cubs have uh, performed erratically over the last few years uh, on the whole and have maybe not done so well at home against the Cardinals, I think they still have done pretty well at Bush against the Cardinals kind of throughout this period, um, which... You know, there's only so much you could take from that as being signal of anything, but at least from a fan perspective, it's nice, you know, seeing Kyle Hendricks pitch exceedingly well to open the series at Bush was nice, nice for fans who want to hate on the Cardinals and nice for fans who wanted a moment to remember that, yes, sometimes when everything's clicking, Kyle Hendricks is still going to be able to put together a good outing. Uh, maybe we start there. Um, anything in particular to to note or say, because I think we're going to talk about a lot of pitching from that series because I have some other stuff we want to touch on. But as far as Hendricks goes, bounce back outing from him, but maybe also just kind of this is who he is now. Yeah, which I think you want to see that uh... – you want to see – obviously, you want more of those outings than the bad ones, right? But I think we're trying to figure out what point he is in his career, what type of uh, expectations he can have over the next – whatever, next few years of his contract while he's with the Cubs. What What is Kyle Hendricks? And, and you can't – he can't be the guy where that – you know, where like – Half of those starts are just like he's not get he can barely get you four innings of, of quality work, right? He's getting lit up. He's giving up too many home runs. You can't have those uh, like half or more of the time. But if they're sprinkled in there with a lot of with with 20 of these types of starts and and you have some of those bad starts, that's that's a usable four or five, right? Especially a veteran, a guy that can be leaned on by the youngsters for advice and has those intangible qualities as well. You need, you need a pitcher that can eat innings. Uh, He may not be the dominant force that he was in 16 or 20, but that doesn't mean he can't be valuable or helpful to the team. And I think that's, you know, like we've said so many times, part of the rest of this, part of the point of the rest of the season is kind of figuring out what you have going forward. And if Hendricks, if he could, if he looks more or closer to the guy that he was over the weekend than the guy that he was the previous start, uh, then then you have to feel a little bit more comfortable about okay, we have a four or five in the rotation. You can't, and and maybe he's more right. Maybe he bounces back and and he finds that two three version of himself for a couple more years. But you need to feel good that he's not just like oh, every single time this guy goes out here, it's going to be a struggle, and and we don't know how we're going to get uh, give ourselves a chance to win. If if I'm a GM of a contending team that needs pitching, I'm absolutely calling Jed Hoyer and being like, I want Kyle Hendricks. You know, we go back a couple of years ago and maybe Kyle, you know, Kyle didn't win a Cy Young award like Cole Hamels did. I know they're different pitchers, but that was kind of the logic when the 
Cubs got him a couple years ago from the Rangers of just kind of like, let's throw this against the wall and see what sticks. Like he's got playoff experience. Uh, he's a good guy. He knows how to pitch. And I don't know, part of me wonders if, you know, Kyle Hendricks is in kind of a different environment, a different coaching staff. I don't know. And obviously this coaching staff has been good for him for a long run. But I'm just wondering if you just gave Kyle Hendricks a reset and said, hey, these last two months, we just need you to pitch every fifth day. And you're going to get a lot of offensive support. You're going to have a, you know, a rested, uh, legit bullpen behind you. Uh, maybe some better defenders. I don't know. Just all of it. I would want him on my team in, you know, a pennant race and not to start a game one of a playoff series anymore, but as a guy who was a very good bet to stay healthy and won't, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the phrase that would be appropriate for a podcast, someone who won't be scared uh, on the mound in a big game. Like I would want him. I I just feel like this is not something that, Kyle has said or anything. This is just more kind of my kind of gut reaction of this of just a, I don't know, just a change of scenery. We always talk about that with different pitchers, and I'm curious what Kyle Hendricks would be like. I don't know. The Yankees don't don't need a pitch, but if he was in New York or in a, just a different environment to where um, he could kind of refresh, I, I think that you you've seen him shutting down teams like the Padres and Cardinals, teams that. Um, you know, expect to be in the playoffs. And I just wonder, I don't think the Cubs are pushing this idea to like get rid of him or anything, but I think, I don't know, like I said, I'd want him on my team if I was chasing a playoff berth uh, this year. I think you're Cole Hamill's comp there. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. And of course you're not talking about the, the pitchers or even necessarily where they were in terms of their projected effectiveness. But if people remember when the Cubs targeted and acquired Cole Hamels, uh, two things. One, he did seem very much on the downswing of his career um, in a lot of ways. And he had been on some non-competitive teams. And there was thinking that he could be among these guys that with just a little a little work with a new system here and in a new independent race and all these things that perhaps it could uh, help stabilize him and, and get a little better performance. And as Cubs fans remember, he was fantastic after that. And uh, what's what's interesting about the comparison too is that Hamels, of course, came with that extra year of control. Um, Hendricks does as well. And in this instance, I almost feel like that works against the idea of the Cubs moving him, both because be- you're not guaranteed to get value out of that year if you're an acquiring team. So it's, it's not necessarily going to be um, an additive factor in, in a trade. So you're looking at probably pretty minimal trade return going to the Cubs. And I think that there is a calculation there that they would have to make of like, do we really want to trade someone like Kyle Hendricks just to net like one flyer prospect who's not likely to do anything meaningful for us. Cause again, the comparison to that Cole Hamels trade, a couple guys we've never heard of or never heard from since uh, went the other way in that one. And I think the Cubs could talk themselves into saying, well, even if he's not able to help us this year for a postseason run, we want his stabilizing presence 
to be there in spring training, to be there as we open the next season, perhaps with some additional young arms, et cetera, et cetera. It's just not hard to think that the best value to the Cubs for Hendricks is keeping him regardless of what happens, you know, over the next month or so, so that they have him available in 2023 as, as just something of a veteran stabilizer. And I suppose the, the only thing pushing against that would be perhaps if Kyle Hendricks himself made it known that he, like you said, maybe he would like an opportunity to, to not because he wants to be away from the Cubs, but be in a, another pennant race and be on a contender and, uh, not that the Cubs would honor that just for that reason, but I think it would factor into the the discussion. I, I like how we <laughs> I'll, I'll let the listeners into our, our pre pre show meeting here, where we were like, I don't know what to to talk about. Uh, what, what do we got? And then Patrick comes out here with the best hot take he's had in in weeks and like eh, maybe you maybe kyle hendricks wants to be traded i love it patrick coming out <laughs> no i specifically like... <laughs> he does not want i did not but this I is know, just I me and I'm, not try, I'm not trying to rip i can't believe the coaching patrick staff, mooney but yeah, like, i know what you're i know kyle what you're saying. Maybe the Cubs sense and just wants on, to be gone That's, side, that is unbelievable i i I mean, I, I think it's a fascinating just the way you approached it from kind of the other side. Not does it make sense for the Cubs to trade Kyle Hendricks, but does it make sense for Kyle Hendricks to maybe want to move on in a sense? I, I think that's a fascinating way to look at it. I, I think ultimately when when we talk about this is something Patrick and I talk about a lot uh, with each other, with the, the, when we write. Uh, the Cubs don't when when they're talking about when when you talk about extending uh, Wilson Contreras or the idea of well how could have they trade the heart and soul of the team Anthony Rizzo uh, the Cubs don't really uh, put a lot of stock in that when when calculating how to uh, how do you extend a player how much are we going to offer this player in an extension uh, when it comes to free agency. But here's the thing. They have Hendricks, right? They have him already at the, the price that they wanted him at. So I think they still, while they may not value it monetarily, financially, and give it to them contract-wise, I think they do understand that there's some value of having Hendricks around. I hope they understand that. like that Because that, that, there is. There is value for him to be around. He's been around a long time with this club. He's seen the highs. He's seen the recent lows. Uh, he he understands like the game planning system. I think he's he's the type of guy you want on the staff to kind of mentor guys like Steele and Keegan and Killian. Uh, like and they're going to continue to have young pitchers coming through. I we know they value having veterans like that in the bullpen, right? We've talked to guys that talk about how much how valued that is. Just having a couple veterans in there, especially when they have young guys coming up. I think they have to value Hendricks in that sense. And and now uh, if some team were to bowl them over and offer a package of prospects, uh, then, yeah, any all that stuff goes out the window. Right. But that's that's very unlikely to happen at this current with the way he's pitching that. I mean, if you like getting bowled over is something I could see them convincing them to move Ian Happ. Right. But I don't see how there's a package of prospects that makes sense for them to move Hendricks, even if he isn't pitching great. Uh, and and I, I just appreciate. But I, I liked the point of view of taking it from a completely different point of view, Patrick, because that I hadn't looked at it that way of 
hey, a team is going to see him as like this guy is can be really valuable for a postseason push. And maybe he's undervalued at this moment. Maybe we could steal him and, and, and then get two great months of Kyle Hendricks. Uh, it, I just I, I hope the Cubs see some value in him beyond just the statistics right now, because I think they need some sort of stabilizing force within that rotation and just relying on adding a free agent veteran or whatever it is. I, I, I hope they understand how valuable he is to that clubhouse and that rotation. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is right up your alley, Brett. Like, this is like yeah, what it. you've wanted to hear. That our friend Jordan Bastian asked Rafael Ortega yesterday post game, and so I went into yesterday thinking, you know, if I could see Hendricks, uh, it was kind of a shorter pregame availability because it was a day game on Getaway Day and whatever. But I just want to be like, so Kyle, can every quote you've ever given us? over the last couple of years about getting traded. Can I just like reuse though? And he's such a good dude. He'd laugh. Be like, yeah, sure. You know, like he did. But <laughs> Ortega got the question yesterday from Jordan uh, from MLB.com and uh, through translator, Will Nadal, he gave this amazing answer of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm playing for all 30 teams that, you know, that would be an amazing <laughs> opportunity. And it was just this great dose of honesty of a guy who, as you alluded to, Brett, as, had to battle to get back into the big leagues and, and carve out a role and who has kind of a broader understanding of things and is like, yeah, there's always scouts watching. And I think that's whether it's Hendricks and we can see scouts again now that we're back kind of in press boxes and clubhouses and dining rooms. And you can, you see them with their backpacks and their briefcases, you know, sitting uh, gossiping at the lunch tables and going out and why. And I think there are going to be scouts who, value uh kyle hendrix's uh poise and guts and will be pounding the table for that and you have someone like ortega who's just a nice complimentary player and that if you plug him uh into a different lineup in a different situation all of a sudden you're like well this guy you know this guy can hit certain pitchers in certain situations it's valuable yeah i love your you're quite right. I love that <laughs> response from Ortega, both uh, as someone. He so hates funny, the like Cubs, I, but whatever, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I love it's, it's like he has become my uh, avatar for uh, complimentary players that I believe have value on every team. So it ends up being like I'm like desperate for the Cubs to trade Ortega. But it's it's really just that I I find like, I just feel like if I were a contender and I had, even if I had three great starting outfielders, it just, he just strikes me as a guy I would love to have on my team, you know, plays every outfield spot, hits righties very well. And, you know, just feels like a, a plug and play piece. And, and that's why in part, I loved his answer so much, like you said, where he, he knows what he's had to go through to get to this point, just to even have semi-regular playing time in the big leagues. And he also, I'm sure, knows that although he's not even arbitration eligible for two more years, he's going year to year. I mean, that's just where he is in his career. And so if he were to get traded to a contender, it's like, what's the difference to him? You know, we I think as fans, we want all the players to be like, well, the only team I ever wanted to play for <laughs> is the Cubs. And I love being on the Cubs. And this is the only place I want to be. But it it's a job. 
and it's a very competitive job. And so if you're a guy like Ortega, you know, again, being traded maybe is just your vehicle to make sure you have a job next year. And um, I, I respected the answer and I liked it. And I, I do I do like the idea of him being a, a, a trade chip for the Cubs this year, not only because it might return a little value for the team, but because it, it just his is a cool story. And it'd, be, it'd be cooler to see him land on a contender than perhaps to see him slog away for sporadic playing time in the second half of a 100 loss Cubs team. Uh, all right. So moving off of that and speaking of what's the transition, other guys who are later developing perhaps and might get sporadic appearances for a 100 loss Cubs team. I wanted to touch on Adrian Sampson and I like perhaps you guys, I don't really have a ton to say other than to like, underscore something I've been writing after his last two outings, which is, so we saw him a good bit last year. This is a guy who um, is, has been an up-down guy in his career. He's 30 now. He spent some time in Korea, and he's never had outsized success, even at AAA, just sort of capable. And he'd come up to the big leagues, and it was sort of like, okay, you know, kind of capable on a bad team. That's fine. And what we saw last year is he was having some success, but he was just giving up rockets and, and there was nothing in his performance last year that could have led you to believe that there was a different type of pitcher, just command control. And sometimes the ball finds gloves, sometimes it doesn't. And you live and die by that as a six, seventh starter type at triple a, at least based on the stats this year, it was a similar story. Doesn't walk anyone, doesn't strike anyone out, tons of contact. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's not. Okay. So fast forward to these last two appearances. He comes up and is a just a bulk guy needed last week for the Cubs. And I forget which outing it was. Someone got blown up and he stepped in and uh, filled in for a little over four innings. Nobody was paying attention really at that point. I don't want to say nobody. Some of us were, but it was a game that was over. So it was sort of easy to, to tune out and to dismiss anything that happened because it was all extremely low leverage. But if you were actually watching, Samson was throwing like 95. His slider had this nasty bite to it that was baffling guys. I mean, he was getting whiffs up in the zone on his 95 mile an hour four seamer. And it was shocking. He was getting a huge volume of whiffs that was completely dissonant with anything we've ever seen from him before. I noted it at the time. And I was like, I don't know what to make of this. I, I've, I've never really seen a guy just sort of one time look like a completely different pitcher at age 30, just out of nowhere. So then he gets the start on Saturday. Fill in. Cubs just needed somebody and he was up. He's rested. Go ahead. He does it again. He goes five innings. I think he struck out like six. He got 15% whiff rate or something. Just And like if he's showing up on Pitching Ninja. Because some of the pitches are so nasty. And it's like, <laughs> if I didn't know it was Adrian Sampson, and I didn't know the profile, and I hadn't seen him last year and all this stuff, it was just sort of random guy. You show him to me, I'd be like, man, this guy's interesting. This is some really interesting stuff that he's throwing. And I don't know what to make of that. Don't know if it means anything. Don't know if there was some substantive change. He's I dug in as best I could. He started throwing the four-seamer a whole lot more these last two outings. He has added a cutter. Um, maybe that improves the shape of his slider somehow. Don't know. Just, I've never seen anything quite like this where it was 
almost 10 innings worth of a guy mid-season looking com- just completely different. And I don't want to set people up for the fall when, as typically happens with guys, he reverts to who he was. But it, it does look fundamentally different. And I just, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I'm I'm just quickly looking at uh, like his whiffs in a game and percentage, whiff percentage. Um, he's had some outings like that. Uh, the only ones above 20 pitches came last year with the Cubs in September and then and then the one that the relief appearance that we saw just now the like the only ones above 20% and above 20 pitches were uh the last couple of years and then and then really not much of that. So I don't I <laughs> I'm kind of at a loss for words as well. I don't know uh, just looking at the numbers as far as how often that's happened and and what he's doing if this is anything more than a blip because he has done it occasionally just not in bigger bursts uh very rarely in the type of big burst that we saw his last start uh this we saw a little bit of it last year but yeah i i don't remember it standing out like this and it and you're right like this stuff almost looks better like it's better but the numbers aren't showing any like bigger drop or movement in any or anything just yet the, Slight... the velo is up he's up about a mile yeah. and a half on the four seamer. Yeah. so i don't i don't fully get it i don't fully know what he's changed if anything if we're just seeing one of those runs from a pitcher uh that that happens uh it's one of those things where for me, I'd like to talk to Tommy and uh, and and guys on the coaching staff and just confirm like, has anything happened here, or is he just like what what's going on? He's just pitching well. He's just feeling good. Sometimes that happens, right? A guy just feels really good on the mound, and it's like I've always this is I haven't changed anything. I'm just feeling good, and it can go away, right? And then it then they end up Brian Dunsing, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Gosh. laughs> Brian Dunsing's out there just trying to like have his breakfast or something and he's catching strays it's like what the f- I, haven't, I didn't do anything to you very nice man. guy great guy great dude and I remember asking him like what's going on <laughs> one time I asked him like how how are you like this good all of a sudden what's going on and, and when his response was like I'm not really sure I was like oh okay I <laughs> go <laughs> Uh well I'll write that but that doesn't sound promising and then he I think it, it shortly after that went went to hell for him unfortunately great dude though it was because uh, your question he was like wait yeah maybe I'm not doing thinking. anything differently oh no <laughs> he got terrified and just was awful but uh Adrian Sampson is a similarly great guy and hopefully there's something concrete that we can dig into here but I I don't. I haven't figured it out through the numbers other than very small things that, that we discussed here. Like the, an uptick in velo obviously matters and a slight change. And maybe it is as just as simple as that. Like he's, he's using some pitches a little more often and those pitches are better than they were a year two, three, four ago. I mean, I'm not sure how Samson had time for this enlightened breakthrough or like residency <laughs> right. in the pitch lab since he was, Promoted to the Cubs May 8th, option to Iowa May 9th, DFA'd May 10th, claimed by the Mariners May 13th, then option to Tacoma, DFA'd May 21st, sent to Tacoma May 24th, like to free agency May 25th, 
Signs back to the Cubs on the 31st. Uh, selected June 16th. Option June 20th. Recalled the 23rd. But what I will say, Saad, I've alluded to it, is that Sampson was pissed when he was sent out after having a great outing. And he said he chose his words very carefully because he knows this is kind of a political process as well. But he made it known that he fundamentally disagreed with the decision. And I think, you know, at this point he should, you know, we kind of realizes his spot in the game and kind of how these transactions work. But I also thought that Ross... David Ross made a great point of like the guys who are okay with that, you don't really want them on your team. He didn't like put it exactly that way, but it was just kind of this thought that you want guys who are competitive and believe they belong and are willing to fight. And Samson uh, to his credit has been that guy, whether it's going overseas, kind of bouncing back and forth, going up and, and down and you know he's certainly uh just from a presentation aesthetic standpoint it's nice to see a, a guy who can kind of get them through a couple of those innings instead of just you know being down five nothing by the time you kind of settle into your seats and start watching the game yeah and um i think it's notable you know it was um it was tighter on Saturday. I mean, it wasn't like it was a, another just sort of nothing situation. You're, you're starting the game in St. Louis, and I didn't know that about his um, uh, uh, unhappiness about being sent down after the last outing, which, I mean, I remember I did like a whole write-up on how awesome he looked, and then I think I clicked publish, and about five minutes later, he was <laughs> optioned out. And I was like, well, all right, whatever. <laughs> so uh, I did. I got it. It was out there before. Hands up. Uh, So we'll see if he now gets another start. Obviously, the Cubs are still lacking three of their um, arms in the rotation. Marcus Stroman is is throwing bullpens now, so he could be on the sort of closer side if the shoulder responds well. Uh, Drew Smiley is still in that buildup phase. And at last check, Wade Miley was still just resting. And we know, we kind of know what the target is for those guys to return and and just the goal i'm sure is to get a couple starts before the trade deadline uh and in the meantime we'll see if samson were to get another start i would say his path just got a little easier with uh the last game in the series which was alec mills um struggling badly and you know i'm not i'm certainly not ready to say throw in the towel on alec mills as a swing guy because it's been 17 innings this year he wasn't healthy and you know whatever but it's not as if we didn't already have some concerns about Mills as a, certainly as a starting pitcher um, struggles badly against lefties. Uh, the command control again is always subject to bad BAPIP days that just blow you up. And I think as we get closer to, you know, him being a guy who's going to be arbitration eligible, who's on the 40 man where the Cubs are sort of getting really strong in these multi inning type guys, I think, I'm not sure how long the leash is going to be for him. And it was interesting in tandem with this conversation that he was followed by Matt Swarmer, who otherwise would have made that start, but was moved into the bullpen finally, because the Cubs want to see how the two pitch mix with the plus slider plays in relief. And he threw 2.1 scoreless hitless looked great. And I think that that is, is going to probably be a pretty nice role for him. And so, uh, you know, 
I think there's a coordination among those three guys in terms of what the Cubs are going to do next time through the rotation. But I, I very much liked what we saw from Samson starting and what we saw from uh, Matt Swarmer in that multi-inning relief role. Yeah. I, you know what? The, the Swarmer multi-inning relief role, and I've written this, I've said this before, I think that's where he thrives in the big leagues ultimately. And also, I I mean, we know how much Ross likes someone that he can trust in that role. He likes having someone that can be in that role. He prefers Keegan Thompson in that role than in the rotation. But if you have someone like Swarmer, and if you have someone, and if you have Keegan pitching like he has, what has it been now? Two or three starts after the dreadful, you know, the, the Baltimore. It's been two starts since Baltimore and New York, which were just awful starts, right? And we've discussed why that can even be important for him to have those. But. If you have Keegan in the rotation now and Swarmer in that spot, that's nice. Those are nice pieces to have going forward, right? So many other things that need to be addressed, of course, to make this a good team. But it's it's nice to have certain roles filled or or think you have certain roles filled for the future and, and with, with guys that have come up through the system. And Swarmer's actually a guy from the previous like amateur and player development group, right? And And he's also... I remember <laughs> one of the guys in amateur kind of just like, you know, just frustrated with all their picks. Like he's like every single pitcher that we take, it's like they lose two miles per hour or something the second they hit the system or they get hurt. So Armour was one of those few guys that he was like, finally, we have someone who takes up, whose velo is taking up, who looks a little better. Who's, who's figuring things out. Now, it was a longer path for Swarmer. I, I'm not, I can't remember his full path, to be honest. And if he hit any injury uh, roadblocks or if it was just, you know, pandemic hit and slowed everything down like it did for a lot of players. But uh, I do rem- recall that in like 18 or 19, he had a breakout and, <laughs> and someone in the amateur department was just like, finally, someone whose velo is taking up. So he's, that's, it's a good story and nice win for them. Uh, to to have someone come up to the big leagues and actually possibly maybe carve out a decent role for themselves. I mean, the Cubs have clearly cornered the market on multi-inning <laughs> relievers when you have a five-run deficit. Like, I mean, <laughs> you had to throw in that last part. I, like, I knew you were making a joke, but I was going to be like, well, but he's actually saying something that's true. It's good, nice to have these multi And then he throws in the, when there's a five. Come on now. No, but I mean, I do wonder in all seriousness, in the new world that we've entered into finally of the 13-pitcher maximum, I do anticipate we're going to see teams experimenting more with the balance of pitchers that they have and whether like how many of these types you can roster because it's a question of how quickly they bounce back. You know, it's easy to say, oh, we want to have a guy who goes three can go three innings. Well, but then if he's down for three or four days after that, every time, then you're essentially just carrying an extra starting pitcher. And I don't know that you can afford to do that with an eight man bullpen. So, um, I do think there's going to be, I think arguably there could be a premium on organizations who can develop guys like this that can bounce back quickly. So be it a five run deficit or a five run lead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. That's, that's all I got. You guys got anything else uh, before we wrap it? No, we're good. All right. We'll, we'll end it there on, on Mooney's cynicism. So we <laughs> appreciate you folks. This is why we all needed to be back. See, this is, 
this is this is what we get. This is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at the Athletic. I am Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at the Athletic. We always appreciate you listening. We'll be back at you later this week. And take care and be well. Goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.